everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Bro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, you are immediately leaving this podcast to go on a very long international flight out to Singapore. So when it comes to flight etiquette, let me ask you, are you someone that prefers an aisle seat or a window seat? I'm not even going to give you the option to say a middle seat, because if you're that kind of person, I don't know if I could work for you. <laughs> uh, I actually to and fro between the two. So um normally i go the aisle these days because you know i'm i'm 6'3 100 or 190 centimeters tall or whatever so having the ability to stretch your legs and get up and every now and again is pretty essential um though if i know i'm going to knock myself out or try and get some sleep it's it's obviously better to to get yourself on the on the window if you can but generally i end up taking the aisle i I really don't like being stuck there. I feel like I really got to go to the toilet and I'm stuck here for the next 14 hours. My flight my flight is 14 hours to Singapore. So you have to be a bit strategic about things, these things when you're going to go on the long hauls. How about you? Uh, I'm also an aisle guy. I used to be a window person, um, but then I realized that I actually can't sleep. So the the benefit of being able to lean up against the wall was sort of lost upon me. And then as I've gotten a bit older, I'll thank my father for it. You know, I don't have the world's largest bladder. So like you, um, the idea of having to interrupt people throughout the flight, just not a fan. So I'll just take the aisle seat, uh, have that freedom, have that flexibility. I'm not quite six foot three, but uh, yeah, being able to swing my foot out there from time to time is always appreciated. What about that idea that I think Ryanair had about having standing flights? Uh, I mean, <laughs> could you imagine that having to stand for six and a, six and a half, seven and a half hours across the US? That'd be a hoot, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's uh, well, that's probably why Ryanair doesn't fly that far. But <laughs> yeah, possibly. One thing I will say, and I'm going to use this as my nice segue because I think I've mapped this out quite correctly, is that they're finally returning with direct flights to London to Cincinnati, which is an absolute game changer. It's going to save me four to five hours. I'm actually flying home. Um, for the Labor Day weekend, which would be the uh, August bank holiday for those in the UK at the end of the month and then early September. And while I'm there, I'm going to actually be attending my first ever Cincy FC match. The last time I checked, Cincy, Cincinnati FC was the top of the MLS standing. So it's a very exciting time for the city when you include Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the Cincinnati Reds and LA De La Cruz. And you also have Cincy FC, which is how I'm going to make this lovely segue. Is Today we're joined by Seth Bacon, who's the executive vice president of media at the MLS. Seth, it's a very exciting time. All the things with Apple. We've got the Messi effect in full swing at the moment. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. There's a lot to unpack with what you guys were just talking about. But yes, um, thank you for having me. Well, well, yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll stick to the latter. We don't need to necessarily ask your preference uh, as you're picking out your flights, traveling around the U.S., different MLS games. But let's not waste any time. You know, I'm going to jump straight into it. And, you know, perhaps the exciting bit for us to talk about is a little bit what can you tell us about the agreement that came up, given this is the inaugural season between the MLS and Apple? It's obviously a landmark deal for, for many different reasons, and we'll probably pick some of those apart. But what can you share about kind of how that deal came to be? Yeah, look, we think the deal is a game changer. I think it's a game changer for the sports industry. We think it's a game changer for our league. But most importantly, we think it's a game changer for fans, right? When we started looking at our media rights, our media rights all expired at the end of 2022. So as you do in a league, you start looking at that, you know, three or four years out. So I believe it was the end of 2017. We were sitting in a room with commissioner, Gary Stevenson is the deputy commissioner. We started talking about what the world would look like once our media rights came up. And it became clear really quickly, the world was going to look completely different than when we did the last deal in 2014. And that deal was done before I, I came on board. I came on right as those deals started. Uh, but we really started to think about, you know, it's going to be this idea of, 
you know, a national game of the week on linear and, you know, packages of local rights all being disparate packages. You know, we had, I think we had about 40 different TV contracts when you roll in US, Canada, local, all our international deals, not to mention our data deals, our distribution deals, our fiber deals, all of those technology elements that uh, go along with it. It was very kind of diverse. And there was, we had, I think, something like 80 different start times uh, across our schedule, right across the seven days of the schedule. And you never really knew where or how to access our content. There was no continuity of schedule, a variety of reasons, right? A lot of things that really made for a poor uh, fan experience, right? And then if you couple in with that, importantly, in our opinion, when you have 40 different broadcast partnerships, you have 40 different production partners as well, right? So everyone's putting a different stamp and a different look and feel on the broadcasts. And for us, consolidating all that, making one unified package, we thought was going to be a really valuable way to go out into the marketplace when we started shopping our rights somewhere in, you know, around the end of 2021. Or maybe it was the end of 2020, actually. And so we put this package together. Our, you know, Gary Stevenson loves to point out that when we first brought this up with ownership and said, hey, no more deals. No one can do a local deal past the end of 2022. Our IQ has never been lower, right? All the clubs said, what are you guys thinking about? This is crazy. Uh, but they got on board, right? We have great owners and we have really good club staff and team presidents. And they, they didn't understand it fully maybe at the time, but they were, there was no sort of like dissent that would prevent us from actually executing the strategy. So we lined everything up, brought it out to the marketplace. And in all those planning sessions, when we sort of sat there and said, Hey, what would the world look like? What would the dream state if we have this global package, all rights available, all countries, all territories, all platforms, all media will produce everything and deliver it to someone. Apple always came sort of up in that conversation as one of the, one of those sort of like, wouldn't it be great if type of conversations. And when we were in the marketplace, talk to our incumbent partners. But start having conversations with Apple and it became clear really quickly that the things we were trying to solve for, which was how do we create a more compelling and, you know, quality and consistent product for our fans is the exact same thing they were looking for, right? They were looking at it from the angle of there's so much fragmentation in sports and you don't, you can never say I can watch this game no matter where I am on any device. And they really wanted to solve for that. And it was a really good partnership and it became clear really quickly that there was going to be a really cool opportunity for us to work together and, you know, we met in the start of, uh, I guess, 2022, very early 2022, and had some conversations. And um, it went really fast and took some time, but we got the deal done. And what we started talking about was that very first day in that room when Eddie Q was in there with the commissioner and all sorts of people sitting around talking about what this could possibly be. It's, that's what's happened. And they, to their credit, they've lived up to every single thing that they said was going to happen and thing they would do about what the product would look like from a kind of interface standpoint, the integration into their ecosystem and the way they can bring things to life through not only live games, but also how do you integrate into maps and music and fitness and all those things. And, you know, we're producing all the games. Anyway, it's been, it's been a real uh, positive story, but a ton of work to get to where we are right now. Um, so I'm curious that that journey, uh, along that journey, you've obviously spoken to all the major broadcasters, no doubt in the US and tech companies along the way. At what point did it become clear to you that Apple was 
really the one that you're going to see this vision through because obviously looking at some of the other incumbents they're very well established have a whole plethora of, of sports rights uh, in place whereas apple obviously did not have that they had a very light touch in the market with their mlb um, relationship and, and that was pretty much it obviously there was some intent there clearly for them to look for something that they could get their teeth into but at what point you know were you having those conversations and apple started to stand out as like that's really where this vision of this whole this sort of collective global deal that we've ended up with was it was was it a really i guess an apple or apple was the most likely um avenue or there are some actually others that were really fighting for that concept right through to to the the time the deal got done so we we definitely were not for a lack of talking to people in our media rights process if you can pick a media company or a technology company i guarantee we pitched them so we wanted to be out in the marketplace and talk to everyone and not because it was sort of any sort of like we're desperate looking for something we thought we had something so unique and different and the market reacted that way we had a lot of very deep conversations with the incumbents with some of the traditional media partners some of the tech companies that uh you are probably obvious to you but also some that never launched and we're talking about launching and a lot of conversations about different ways that we could put this package together and bring it to fans ultimately we had you know a metaphoric tech checklist right that we wanted to check off right global distribution high quality broadcast a partner who could you know commit to a long term uh, partnership and market us in the way that we think we want to be marketed someone who could help us build on the tailwinds that we have right the growth of the league the investment of our ownership players coming over world cup coming in 2026 so we had all these things that we were sort of looking for and it became clear just as the conversations went on and on that there were people who could check some but not all in the way that apple could and that was that was really sort of like the aha moment and then when you sit in a room after you know tons of calls and conversations ahead of time but when you get that that one meeting in a room where everyone's there and you lay it all out on each side and say this is the way we view it this is the way we view it it, it was really evident really quickly that there was you know there was a really good opportunity for both of us here to to do something special i'm curious on the 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 framework of the deal obviously there's 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 a lot of nuance that goes into those before you get to the final dotted line um so to speak one of the main things was the fact that you guys were taking on all the production responsibility um and you brought in img to to help with delivering that who's got great expertise delivering on the the premier league production side as well and from all accounts it looks like a great production they they're putting together for you um, I'm just curious, what are some other key parameters there that you had to take into, uh, include in this deal, um, specifications, parameters, et cetera, that maybe were different to some of the existing broadcast deals you've done in the past? Were there anything else particularly nuanced that was interesting? Well, I, look, the production thing, I don't want to sell the production thing short, right? Because the production thing is a huge undertaking and Apple's been a terrific partner in that, right? We We are... Uh, the production company, right? If you will, MLS Productions. We work with, to your, as you said, IMG has come in and helped us with all the above the line production. They're terrific. Barney Francis and his team are best in class. NEP has helped us with all the below the line technical facilities, all those things. So we have a really good, uh, a group that's producing those, but Apple plays a huge part in it as well, right? Apple does all the master control and the integration of all the broadcasts. And, you know, we're sending hundreds of feeds and hundreds, multiple hundreds uh, of channels of audio. Uh, every single week coming out of a, a match uh, match night. And they have to integrate all that and make sure it not only goes out to fans, but goes out to fans on a phone, a TV, a tablet, a computer, all those things. So there's a lot of work that they do. They design the graphics package. So the point is there's a really good uh, collaboration on the production side. 
Some of the other things that were interesting was I think the flexibility that you have when you have a partnership with someone like Apple, right? And you go all in because the schedule discussion became very different, right? We weren't looking at where are their availabilities and where do you butt up against, you know, hard spots. It's really wide open, right? And so we had a really unique opportunity to work with them on uh, what is the right schedule, right? What is the right programming to go alongside that? We launched MLS 360, a whip around program on match nights. How is like, what's the best way to start those games? And the, the level of detail we got into with each other about what is the best thing for fans and to be able to focus on that and not on what's the competitive program and what are the other things that we need to be focused on? And, you know, uh, is there someone else that needs that space? All those different things. You really do have this incredible flexibility uh, when you have a deal like that. And we're, you know, we pride ourselves in being a league that's able to move really, really quickly with things because we don't have as much legacy infrastructure, whether that's physical infrastructure or just sort of historical infrastructure uh, as it relates to how things have been done in the past, right? We sort of started over and we think we've built a better mousetrap as it relates to how you can distribute media rights. Fans, literally, I mean, you guys are talking about flying all over the world. When you're in Singapore, if you wanna watch a match, you pull your phone, you're a subscriber, which I know you're both subscribers, you're a subscriber, you're going to watch a match, right? And if you want to watch it on your computer, you want to watch it on your flight, it's available. The content's there. Uh, it's really, really fascinating. The picture quality, the way that Apple encodes things, we're producing everything in 1080p, so we're pushing it like mega high quality. But the way they encode it and keep that quality so that when it hits your device, you still get that sharp picture is best in class. It's, it's amazing as far as I'm concerned. One of the questions I wanted to ask, and Nick mentioned this, you talked about it, that you guys are the production company. And my understanding was this was something that you were planning on doing anyways. It wasn't as if you were, you were being a production company because that was the proposition that Apple put forward, but you were already putting that infrastructure in place. It almost kind of reminds me sort of what the NFL has done with sort of the NFL media that runs Red Zone and things like that. So regardless if it was going to be Apple or someone else, putting all that infrastructure in place, were you already considering having some sort of media arm akin to like an NFL media that this was always going to be a part of your future, regardless of if it was Apple or not? hundred percent. The conversations about production started well before we started thinking about kind of packaging the media rights. I started in the summer of 2014. And I would say my first week in the office, Gary Stevenson said, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to start thinking about production infrastructure, production quality, consistency, and we started to look at that not only domestically, but with our world feed, right? We changed the way our world feeds were delivered, started working with IMG on that. So we had a more consistent product. So, uh, we're, we, we, we went through, I think it was 2015 or 2016 and did a league wide audit of all our stadium infrastructure. We looked at lighting, looked at connectivity, looked at cabling, looked at camera positions, looked at booth, announced booth positions. Uh, looked at back of house stuff and uh, point of sale things and just went through and sort of did a baseline of, hey, where do we want to be as a North American league and where are our clubs? And in all those different areas, every club got score. And we looked at kind of how those you know different areas needed to be invested in. And some of those we made quick decisions and said, we need to get these things going so that we have really good quality. Like let's make sure all our camera positions have clear sight lines and things like that. And then some of them today, we're still like working on how we implement these production standards and these infrastructure standards, which have, it's been an ongoing process for a bunch of years to make sure that we're investing in all the right places. But now that we have, we control all the production and we're shooting everything in 1080p, we're taking a step back and thinking, all right, what does the future hold? Does the camera position in, you know, 720 make the same 
sense in 1080 or potentially 4K in the future? And where does automated, uh, you know, camera technology play in the a role in the future? So it's an interesting evolution as you think about kind of how you'll invest and where you'll invest. But the production piece has been something that has been uh, a, a work in progress for many, many years. And we've, we've looked at how we create better quality and better consistency across the board and everything that we do. Yeah, we might come back a little bit more to some of the Apple stuff, but you touched on something that's just such a natural segue to a question we were going to ask anyways. I'm going to keep the flow going, which is one of the things that now that you have this long-term agreement, you know, sometimes you're always thinking about that next uh, broadcast deal and that kind of becomes your primary focus. But now that this is locked in for a long, extensive period of time, that doesn't have to necessarily maybe be front of mind concern. And now you're thinking about what are you going to do now between the ex- expiration of this deal to make the most of the product. And you started talking about maybe some of the infrastructure or the cameras or the quality of the production. You know, what else are you focusing on now that, you know, you don't have to worry about where the, the broadcast deal is going to come? How are you going to continue improving? Yeah, it's something we think about every single day, right? The the Certainly we're looking at technology, right? And how does that technology create better quality experiences for people. And that's not just the pictures. That's also the audio. That could be the data that gets overlaid. We're, we're working with Sportech on that. And how can we integrate more data and advanced analytics into our programming and working with Apple on how that manifests itself, not only on like, you know, think about the video we're watching here, but in the, the product itself in season passes their new functionality. And they're, you know, they're an amazing company. They're the type of company that when you say, Hey, we, we've got a vendor that could do this. They say, well, maybe we'll just build that internally and do it ourselves. Right. Those types of things. And, and it's awesome working with a partner like that, who we were able to take the time to your point, Chris, we're able to take the time now and say, what is the thing we're trying to solve for? And what's the best way to do it? As opposed to thinking about how do we just go as quick as we can to solve something? So the product you see today, you know, our goal going into the season was to make sure that we started at a high level and continued to push and push so that we maintain that level, but also grew and added new things along the way. And you've seen, you know, additions from a graphic standpoint, we've changed the format of some of our shows. We're adding more cameras, certainly with Messi coming in. We can talk a little bit more about that. We've added some new bells and whistles to those productions. But as we're kind of growing throughout the year, we're, you know, that has been our goal is to, to continue to grow and increase, but it'll look different next year and it'll look different the year before that, the year after that, because we're just going to constantly work with each other and take steps back and think, you know, what does next year need to look like? And we're doing that now, right? We're having those conversations now about what are the things we can do from production, from a product, from a programming standpoint that'll drive value for people uh, down the road. So it's, it's a really fun process to be part of. Um, I'm just curious on the, the the terms of the deal itself. It's a ten year deal. The top line headline numbers that got covered was worth about two and a half billion dollars across those ten years. Um, now, typically in our industry, we like to talk about big numbers all the time. It's kind of what we talk about. The devil's normally in the detail there. I'm just curious with a deal like this, whether well, whether or not that's the the accurate accurate number that's it's been widely reported. But how do you ensure that their the Apple's objectives or any broadcast partner, but in this instance Apple's, that their long-term objectives of how they get value out of this deal and this relationship stays aligned with what you guys want to get out of it? And I mean by that is that Apple is obviously building out a media business that 
is going significantly and will continue to be invested in uh, at a global global level. Uh, are they looking at this with the viewer? How many eyeballs is this drawing? How many subscribers is this going to lead generate for us in the same way that a traditional broadcaster might be assessing the performance of an investment and in content? Or you know, are they sharing those sort of objectives or what they're trying to get out of this? Because I, I'm, I imagine over this the course of these th- these these types of relationships that. Um, the risk is if you're not aligned with what the objectives are from both sides, that what you can agree a deal at the beginning to make sure that you renew the deal in, in 10 years from now, you have to make sure you're aligned right the way through that, if that makes sense. So how, how, what sort of things are, are you trying to make sure that, that are being achieved in this deal so that Apple are happy and you guys are happy as well, effectively? Yeah, look, the, the really unique and cool thing about this is a true partnership, right? Our collective success is shared, right? So there's there's incentive for both of us to make this as big as we possibly can. And, you know, we talked about when was that moment when we thought, wow, this is really going to work out. In that room, the Apple team was just as focused on how they make Major League Soccer a top sport and grow the league and not just grow it in the US and Canada, but in South America and in Europe and invested in that because that helps elevate the stature of our sport, which in turn drives demand. And that's where we start to accrue the benefit of having more people consume the product, right? So it is, it's a really unique partnership in the sense that we haven't just handed our rights over to someone and they pay us a fee. And, you know, the production piece is another part of that, right? As far as we're committed and we're in it with them. But this is, this is a true partnership that we're in together and we are incentivized every step of the way to make sure that we make the best possible decisions on every single thing we do. And we have discussions about everything from big all the way down to the sort of mundane and the minutia of, of how we should do things, right? What time should a game start? And, uh, is, is that in front of the paywall or behind the paywall for this certain match and things like that? We've launched a Leagues Cup tournament right now that we're working with them closely to how do we elevate that brand and differentiate it from MLS and things like that. So we're working really closely with them and we're a hundred percent aligned on what the, the strategic goals are for growth, whether that's from a fan standpoint, a consumer standpoint, a quality standpoint, or, or a revenue or a business standpoint. And it's, uh, that's, that's what's going to make this thing work in the long term and why we think it's a better model because we're both incentivized to, to do what's best for the partnership. In terms of the partnership, something I'd be curious to, to know is perhaps the actual data side of things, because there's probably maybe few businesses in the world that have the amount of data on hand as a business like Apple does with the amount of users they have across there. So I'm just trying to understand how much are they able to share with you from a data perspective that's helping the MLS grow just based on you know the amount of people that are like logged into their systems in terms of just some of that mutual data sharing? Yeah, look, it's, you know, Apple's one of the most privacy focused companies in the world, rightfully so, right? And I think that's part of, we, that appeals to us, right? Is that they take that stuff so seriously. But there's a lot of learning that we're doing together, right? Because it's a different sort of language that you have to speak when you're on digital and you're looking at metrics differently, you're looking at data differently. We have a, a great uh, relationship with their data team and understanding what our audiences look like, what our subscribers look like, things like that. Um, but we're teaching each other as we go, right? To your point, Apple had a deal with Major League Baseball for one or two games a week. This is, you know, nearly a thousand games if you count all of our different divisions that are in there with MLS, uh, Leagues Cup, Next Pro, and Next. There's there's a lot of content in here, so we're we're having different conversations as it relates to what our audiences look like. How do you approach a marketplace from a sponsorship standpoint, an advertising standpoint? 
So we're, we're sharing a lot with each other. We're learning a lot from each other and we're trying to understand the audience. The good news is as we've gone through the season, the audience has gotten stronger and has gotten bigger. And as the games have mattered more, right? And seeing some of these games, uh, in, in Leagues Cup where the, uh, League of Mex teams are playing MLS teams, we're drawing audiences for these and there's a huge Spanish language audience that's showing up. So we're, we're realizing that there's ways we know how to build on this and data drives a lot of that. Uh, but we have to figure out how to do that together where we respect each other's data privacy policies and respect our consumers so that we're not putting anyone at risk, right? And instead, we're focused entirely on how do we drive the best quality experience that we can for people so that they don't have to worry about where's my information going. They worry about, hey, how good does the picture look? And outside a live match, this is a really cool piece of content, right? We just need to figure out how we leverage the data that we have to serve people in that way and not other ways. So... One of the things you're talking about uh, in terms of, you know, we touched on it really briefly that the, the season has been getting stronger as it's been going on. I'm sure undoubtedly some of that might have to do with the recent arrival of a certain someone that people may have heard of. Uh, it goes by the name of Lionel Messi. Um, it was really interesting. One of the Bengals uh, kind of big Twitter profile guys I follow didn't know who Messi was, which seems incredible to me that anyone that follows any form of sport doesn't know who Messi is. I, I thought that was just unforgivable. But as we're recording this podcast, we're about six days past when Lionel Messi hit his walk-off free kick, uh, to which I saw many Europeans were upset with the use of walk-off in the uh, context of soccer. But, you know, how has that been? You know, there's obviously been some talk of part of his deal being tied in with what was going on with the Apple MLS deal, but just maybe talking about some of the impact of having the world's biggest athlete, arguably, certainly this sport's biggest athlete joining the MLS? Yeah, it's hard to um, truly appreciate the impact that it has. I've never been around, I've been doing this a few years, I've never been around an athlete who can move the needle with everyone, right? You see the celebrities that showed up for his first two matches and they want to come out and they want to see him and he delivers on the field. Like it's, it's, I'm, it's unbelievable. I said the production truck for the first two matches and the moment where he hit that free kick, everyone just looked around and they're like, did that just really happen? Like, did, did that really just happen on our screens right now? And I think for what it's worth, I think the guys in the, and, and, uh, women in the truck that were producing that match did an unbelievable job using the, we, we added a bunch of super slow mo cameras. We added different camera angles. You got to look at every single one of those angles of that free kick replay. Like it's the investment in that extra technology pays off in moments like that. But, you know, Messi, Messi moves the needle on every single front of our business right now, right? Whether that's ticket sales, consumer products and jersey sales, attendance, the parking lots probably charged more. So it's an incredible thing. And just to be there and see the way fans react to him on the day that he was unveiled, which was about, you know, I think four or five days before uh, his first match, there was a monsoon that day, like, of epic proportions. Like we were underneath the stadium, like in the locker rooms, meeting with ownership, talking about how the event was going to go. And they said, live to our entire lives. We've never seen it like this before, which is, you know, kind of eye opening when you're down there at the moment. You're about, you know, an hour away from unveiling, you know, the biggest uh, global athlete in the world to the, to, you know, on TV. But it, there were still fans that just stayed and stayed and stayed and they waited outside and they just stood in the rain and they were like, it's okay. Well, we're here. We need to see it. People started, I think that event happened at eight o'clock at night. There was people at eight o'clock in the morning standing outside the gates, just waiting for a glimpse. So he, he will undoubtedly have an unbelievable impact on, on our sport. And I think, you know, it's a testament to the investment that our owners and the commissioner and Gary and Mark Abbott, who uh, just recently left 
the league have made to growing the sport and making this a, a destination league for people, right? It's not the perception that we had years ago. And so we talked a lot about this in the process when we were out talking about our rights. This perception of MLS as sort of a place where people went later in their careers is really not reality at all, right? And we're getting these really young stars. We're getting a lot of young stars from South America, Mexico. And the style of play is exciting. There's more goals in MLS than any league in the world. Uh, we love the style of play that we have. We love the challenge that our players have playing in different climates and different time zones. Um, and the stadium experience is like second to none in a, in a um, sports standpoint, certainly from a soccer standpoint, as far as we're concerned. So having someone like Messi come and just sort of like turn the dial up to, you know, I don't know, 15, not 10, but 15, uh, really helps. And then you think about this, the cadence of things that we've had. We got the Apple partnership. Now Messi's here. World Cup's coming. The, we are like, you know, we talked a lot about this kind of injection of rocket fuel and it's like, we keep getting these little bursts and bursts and bursts and this thing is taking off. And um, what we're psyched about is that we have a partner in Apple that can help us showcase it in like this unbelievably beautiful way. And uh, and it's something that we're really committed to. And we got a lot of people working really hard to delivering, but um, I think we're ready to capitalize on all the momentum that we have and the things in front of us. So it's exciting. Seth, for, for those that aren't familiar with the MLS approach with like franchise and marquee players, um, can you just sort of explain what the type of deal is in place? I mean, I was within what you, within what you can talk about, obviously, um, and how that differs. Well, you know, in the, obviously Premier League and other, other leagues that exist, um, they don't have a salary cap or anything like that in place. But obviously the MLS is a little bit different. Can you just talk us through that, that franchise approach? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, you should have others on if you want like the true, uh, kind of school version of how our, our league is assembled. I, uh, I'm certainly not the person, but I can definitely give you the high level, right? We actually don't have franchises. We're a single entity. So when someone buys a team, they're actually buying a share of the league, right? And so when you do that, there are certain things and efficiencies we have from an infrastructure standpoint that allow us to operate in a different way than when you have independent franchises like you see in other American sports or even in the Premier League. And so as part of that, there's roster rules that we have and ways that people can invest in players and can't invest in players and where you can spend. When David Beckham came over many years ago, they instituted a thing called the designated player rule. And that designated player allows a club to go out and spend differently against the salary cap than they would if it was a player who's not a designated player. And Messi coming in is clearly one of those designated players. So there's a different way that that deal can be structured. And I think people have read a lot about, you know, different things that's happening with the club and the ways that they're talking with Apple and other partners about really more about sponsorships and endorsements and things like that, uh, that will help Messi. You know, you don't grow Messi's profile. Messi's profile is the biggest profile there is. But I think there's a lot there as far as, you know, his legacy and his ability to come to the United States or North America and really elevate the game of soccer. Think about no better way to cement your legacy as the greatest of all time in soccer than to come and really just turn the dial up on soccer in this country and this part of the world and make it the sport that we know it is, which is one of the most exciting and should be popular sports out there. And like, we believe strongly in what we have to offer and Messi's going to help us with that in a lot of ways. And, you know, luckily we've got really smart people that focus on the way our business operates, the way our teams operate, that make sure that we can take advantage of those opportunities when they come along. Seth, I'm just curious though, the, I mean, the, this, the Messi brand, the Messi as a player is, 
you know, arguably the greatest ever. Um, you've previously had to the MLS some pretty big names beforehand as well, though. It's not the first time that this has played out with Beckham, you mentioned before. Um, Pele, obviously, was a big a big story back in, back in the day as well. Just how do you see this playing out, say, differently to those moments? You talked about, like, I don't know if it was a shot in the arm or those moments where there's a bit of an energy boost. Do you see this playing out in a similar way or do you think there's going to be more behind this for, for some reason because of the messy brand and the, the name that he, he comes with? I think the difference, the difference is the timing and the timing in the world and the world of media, right? You think about when David Beckham came, social media is not even remotely what it is now and the ability to get content out quickly, right? And if you think about the Apple deal too, when Messi comes, we're pointing everyone in the world to one spot. It's a very simple message to say to people, watch it on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. You don't have to think, oh, if I wanted to watch that, what time is it? Where is it? How do I get access to it? It's instantly available in one spot. And then we take all that footage and we push it out across our channels, across partner channels. We have distribution deals for highlights with a bunch of people. But it all still has that branding to reinforce to people, MLS is on Apple, MLS is on Apple. So I think there's a difference in a lot of ways for the way that we can deliver the content. And then certainly all due respect to, I was not around when, uh, when I mean, around at MLS, I was alive, but not around at the league when Beckham came, but all due respect to some players who have come in my time, the attention from a media standpoint and just a global awareness standpoint is not comparable. It's just exponential in every single way. You know, I think you talked about someone, uh, from was it the Bengals who didn't know who Messi was. I have three sons, ages 11, 9, and 5, who I think only because I work in sports have decided they want nothing to do with sports. But they even said, hey, we heard Messi's coming, right? And it's like it's so out of left field to not be talking about Minecraft or Roblox or something like that with them. For them to say it and like sort of like understand the magnitude of it, it is it is a different thing. It's, a, it's different on every single level. Um, and then when, you know, you have the player who gets out and just backs it up like two games in a row. Like, you know, he might score 5,000 goals over the next four years. So who knows? Like it's, it's I think he's on pace to, to do something really special. Well, I think the other element of that as well, and you touched on it briefly, but I think goes to Nick's point about why this might be different is also the World Cup in 2026. I have already laid multiple bets with multiple English people. Feel free to ask me to jump on this bet that football is coming home in 2026. And by home, I mean the USA. Uh, I think it's perfect time for the U.S. men's national team. You'll know because there's many of them in the MLS, many more in Europe. They're going to be hitting their peaks, hitting their primes for that World Cup that, you know, when Nick and I first spoke about this deal, we actually talked about in 10 years time, it could be actually a bargain for Apple in terms of what they paid because the way the trajectory of the popularity of soccer in the U.S. is going in part because of the Premier League's growth as well, hoping that the U.S. men's team who has players in the MLS does really successful in the World Cup, that's one of those big moments. It almost feels like Messi accelerated that growth where I would have seen the growth of it going naturally through that World Cup, but Messi almost gives you something in the the lead up to that that just accelerates that that ramp of growth that hopefully piggybacks off the 2026 world cup that like i said at the end of 10 years like it's it's an opportunity to say the mls actually has all this massive opportunity to grow in that that time depending on how certain things line up and Messi wasn't a certainty but like i said now that it is happened like i said it just accelerates that rate of growth of what we saw could have been a potential roadmap i think you're spot on i think you're absolutely right right if you think about sort of the ramp to get there 2026 for us, we always say it's not a destination. It's sort of like that next moment of growth. 
And Messi just gives you like, it's like hitting like one of those booster blocks when you're playing Mario Kart, like you hit it and you start going faster. That's, that's basically what we've done with Messi here. Right. And, and I don't see that being something that slows down. I think there's only acceleration that comes with that because now you're already seeing sort of other players saying like, Hey, I'm, I'd be interested in that. Right. And the, you think about all of the different benefits to coming to the United States. The infrastructure is really good that we have. Our fans are awesome. We've got a great broadcast partner. The cities, people want to live in American cities, right? And that might come across as very sort of uh, American thing to say. But just as you think about places you can live in the world, there's sort of a fascination at times with, you know, L.A. and Chicago and New York and Dallas and places like that. Um, so we, we think we have we've got really good groundwork laid. And for someone like Messi to come and sort of like put a stamp on it and say, like, I agree. Uh, it means a lot. It's it's big time. And I and I think you're absolutely right. With the young players we have coming through our league, one of the things that happened, you know, probably 10 years ago was there was a real commitment to the academy system in Major League Soccer, right? And so this idea of not just focusing on youth soccer and having people go out and when they're young play games to win, like who won that game, they really drilled down and worked with the French Football Federation on how you coach people, how you train people at a young age, so that when they're playing academy games, they're really working on their skill and honing their craft and not just playing a game to see who won. That's where a lot of the growth of the game has come from because our academy system is exponentially stronger than it was in the past. And that's how you see not only, you know, players doing really well and getting transferred, you know, we, I think we were like one of the top five leagues in the global transfer economy last year, but also playing in the national team. There's, there's a lot of growth here and it's really, really exciting. Seth, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm conscious of time, but I wanted to just quickly pick uh, on the fact that you know this deal is quite an exciting one. It's, it is a game changer in every sense of the word that you've you outlined at the beginning, and one thing that we were excited about, given our conversations on this podcast, because of the globality of it, because of the the, the lack the, the the reduction and fragmentation and so on. You've covered. On the other side, some people talk about that you know, there is some risk and reward in this deal, right? The risk there is risks around you know you're taking yourself off. Um, some of the major platforms and networks that historically would have helped discoverability and reaching that non-core fan that perhaps uh, is more accessible, gives more accessible on you know those tr- traditional broadcasters in the U.S. market, and so you just have this. There's a little bit of a trade-off. It's not a complete no-brainer. You guys would have had to assess that balance of you building fandom through different means now versus perhaps if you're working through the traditional broadcast approach. Was that did that take a lot of balancing? Was that a tough decision to make about balancing those risk and rewards? Do you agree that there was a risk and reward balancing act that you guys had to assess there? Just what was your approach to analyzing that? Look, anytime you do something different, you have to think about it for a long time, right? It's no different than anything you do in your personal life, and then it comes with you have to have that honest conversation with yourself about you know what is what is the leap we're about to take here. We were really comfortable with it, and as were our owners. And, and again, we had a subcommittee of owners that we worked with who were really progressive thinking, forward thinking about what the what the best way to grow the sport is. And we knew, and this is part of our pitch, right? We had the youngest audience in sports media, right? We're the only league under the age of 40 on TV. We had more digitally and tech savvy uh, fans than any league. We had more fans willing to buy a subscription product than any any. Uh, any, any league in North America. So we, we knew we had a highly, highly qualified audience that would know how to find this, right? There is a gentleman I work with named Chris Schlosser, and I'm going to attribute the quote to him every time I do it because I think it's a great quote, which is, baseball was built on radio many years ago. The NFL was built on TV. Soccer in the United States has been built on 
digital, right? Because for a long time, the only place to find it, right? It's not the case now. There's soccer everywhere, which I think is a good thing. You know, kind of rising tides raise all ships. For a long time, the only place you could find soccer was to go online and have the conversation online and watch the games online. So you've got a whole group of people and a generation of people. And because we're so young, if you say to them, hey, it's on Apple, you don't, we never really worried about one accessibility or education, right? Obviously, you got to educate people where it's going, but it's not the same as if your fan base is, you know, high 50s, early 60s, where you have to think about, you know, are they going to try and watch the game on the microwave or the TV and have to explain the difference between the two, right? So we had, we, we were very comfortable with the direction uh, that we were going. And we thought that we positioned ourselves um, really well to make sure that when we, had that opportunity, we could capitalize on it and, and say, look, this is a fan base. We'll do this. And to have a partner like Apple see the value in that fan base and that audience is really important. At the same time, we all acknowledged in Apple as well, right? They were part of this process. You can't just rip a Band-Aid clean off in 2023 and say, that's it. And that's why you see, you know, we have a game of the week on Fox and Fox Deportes for the regular season. Leagues Cup right now is on uh, FS1 in English, on Univision Networks in Spanish. There's sets of games, not the whole tournament. Every game is on Apple, but we've got pockets of linear. Same thing in Canada with TSN and RDS. And it's really more about, one, how do we kind of help with that transition, one. And then two, how do we use that as sort of a marketing tool to showcase certain content and and bring people in who might be used to only consuming in a certain way on linear and saying, hey, don't forget, if you like this, you can get all of it over here. And so that's that's part of the the kind of media ecosystem that we built. And then as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have I think eight or nine really significant distribution partnerships with the likes of Bleacher, uh, ESPN, CBS. So we can take that content and push it out after the fact, clips, highlights, behind the scenes content, all those types of things. Our ability to think about this more as a kind of in total media package now and the content that we can deliver is way different than it was when we had, you know, a linear partnership for a game of the week and then a bunch of locals because you really were sort of trying to like manage pockets of rights as opposed to having the whole thing in one sort of concentric circle where you can manage it and, and make sure you're pulling the levers to deliver the best product and the best content to the best places uh, that, that deliver the best experience. Final question on, and before, so we can wrap on this one, uh, Seth, the, um, the big opportunity here is clearly the global side of things as well, right? There's, there's, I mean, the US is a whole different ball game to the global, global media market, but so getting huge growth in, and in the, in the US market alone will be a huge success on around this deal, but you have also that global opportunity. Having Messi in that mix is, a, is, you know, you talked, we talked a little bit about the difference now between the years gone by is now that it immediately unlocks a definitive go-to-market strategy for your international audience and for Apple's international for the for the season pass because of that um, global brand that Messi comes with. Where are you guys aiming for? Like how 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 far in ten years' time can you? Is there a realistic opportunity to be you know fighting with the top four or five European leagues for that global brand and that global audience that they currently have uh, un, in, in their hands, or are you guys? taking a bit more, more, uh, less bullish than that. There's nothing we do that isn't bullish. We are a bullish organization and we have bullish people and we have bullish leadership. And that's a good thing. I wouldn't want to work anywhere else, right? We are in this game to win and we like the strategy we're taking. We like our playbook. We've developed what we think is a really smart playbook. Uh, and we have, 
nothing but opportunity in front of us right now from a global standpoint. Messi obviously adds a huge amplification factor that World Cup adds a huge amplification to that eyes on the marketplace, eyes on the league, all those things. But even before that, when we launched, we launched in, you know, 130 countries, I think is the number with Apple. We localized a lot of the content, not just the, not the content as far as the video content, but the interface with Apple. That's all localized in all those markets to make it more accessible. And the amount of translations you have to do on team names and brands and things like that, that those are like sort of like the little things that you don't think about when you launch a product like this. But the attention to detail that Apple brings, that's part of it. But that all plays into this idea of we have very broad ambitions. We've got really smart people and we've got terrific owners who are investing. And they, they are thinking about how we invest in players, how we invest in infrastructure. We're building more stadiums than any sports property in the world right now. And we're creating best in class experiences for people. And, and we think, you know, we, I, I like, I like the position we're in. I, I, I really do. I think we've got a ton of opportunity in front of us. Well, I certainly agree. Like I said, when the World Cup comes home in 2026, like I said, it's just it's a roadmap to excellence. Um, so, Seth, I appreciate you coming on and joining us today. It was great to hear because, like I said, it's it's a big, big, big story in terms of just what it brings and its uniqueness. So we appreciate your insight and transparency behind the deal. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoyed the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Seth. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. Ooh.